so good. This is March 1st, 2020. We are 60 days into a new decade, and we're going to head into a new series and really a new season right now, but I feel like in this moment, we also need to sort of catch our breath and take in all that God has done so far. You know, in January of 2020, we did this series called Grace and Truth, and we talked about how if we are going to step into all that God has for us over the course of the next decade, we're going to have to stay connected to Jesus full of grace and truth. And every week was a new marker of the faithfulness of God as we navigated some of the most controversial issues happening in our culture right now. And even in that season, we just saw so many people awaken to the fact that in Jesus is everything we need to do this life well, but also to love people well. And so that banner that you saw on the wall on your way in, we want to be a church full of grace and truth. I hope that when we pass through a sermon series, it's not just a season that we pass through, but it's a marker that affects us for a long, long time. And we went into February and we did a sermon called Bold as a Lion where we heard the story of a family that just rocked our worlds and we talked about boldness being something that's central to who we are. And now we're coming out of a series called Love That Lasts where we let the love of God invade our romantic love stories. And it's just amazing to see how marriages are being shaped, how future marriages are being shaped, and conversations are happening. And every week we get to mark the faithfulness of God in a powerful way. And so I knew we were starting this series today, a new month, and I just felt like as a church we needed to take a breath and just let the Word of God speak to us in a simple way today. We've had this series marked on our calendar for a long, long time. This is one of my favorite books of the Bible, if not my number one favorite. Because it's the one time the Apostle Paul gets to simply write a letter to a church that's healthy, encouraging them, protecting them, and guiding them. But he really gets to write about whatever he wants and we are going to read one of the most dense and rich books of the entire Bible. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Colossians. And I just want to say from the beginning, you're welcome. If, we, if you have your Bible, hold it up all over this room. Hold it up. I want to encourage you more than ever during this series to bring your Bible. Y'all are such a crazy church. Look at how many of you have Bibles in the air. You're like, I'm not crazy. I'm desperate. All right. Colossians. Chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians is toward the end of your Bible. It's right after Philippians, which is kind of ironic because the last time that we walked step by step through a book of the Bible was Philippians in 2019. So we're just picking up where we left off. Sometimes in the life of our church, God leads us through his word about a particular topic that is something that needs to be addressed in the life of our church. But then at other times, we just walk step by step through books of the Bible. Both of those, as long as they are centered on the word of God, are amazing. But I love when we as a church journey as a faith family over an extended period of time through the same book of the Bible. And I just want to say, in an era where podcasts and sermons and worship songs are literally coming out every day, I want to say that there is absolutely no substitute and no replacement for your own personal time opening the Word of God and letting God speak to you. And I can't just say that. Like, I just want you to taste that to actually know that. Because when it's just you and God in a room 
and the presence of Jesus leaps off of a page into your heart and you know this thing that so many people have told you about, but now it becomes your own and you're going, God is speaking to me through his word. There is something that happens to you. I would say your confidence in your identity in Christ grows. Because you know God's not, God's not wasting that revelation. God is giving that to his children. And so I want to encourage you. Yes, we're, we're going to be preaching through this. But more than we're going to be preaching through Colossians, we're going to be guiding you in how to read and apply the Bible to your life. We've got some amazing resources that our team has prepared over the course of the next couple of weeks that we're going to be unveiling. But I really wanted this to be an introductory, an introductory, introductory message that just kind of sets the tone for where we're going to be going. And I got the gift today of getting to preach the most powerful passage in all of Colossians. And really, a lot of scholars would say this is the most theologically profound and important passage ever written. Yeah, this is, this is a big deal. And so as we open the word of God, let's approach it with humility, let's approach it with reverence, but let's also figure out what it means for us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. If you're there, say I'm there. Here we go. We're just going to read the Bible and talk about it. You ready? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Gosh, you could stop right there and preach a sermon. By the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, Grace and peace to you from God, our Father. This is a quick greeting for Paul. Some of his greetings are more lengthy. But he says, it's, it's me, Paul, an apostle. It's interesting that Paul considers himself to be an apostle because the apostles were people who knew Jesus during his life on earth and saw him resurrected. So the position of being an apostle in the early church was a position of high authority and high esteem. You had to know Jesus personally. And Paul considers himself to be an apostle by the will of God because Jesus revealed himself to Paul individually on the road to Damascus. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. And Paul goes, I'm the one who got in late. I'm the one who really doesn't even deserve to be here, but yet God, by his will, by his doing, has made me an apostle in the early church. And it's not just me. I'm here with Timothy. If you don't know anything about Timothy, Timothy is like... Uh, sitting under Paul's leadership. He's sort of like his son in the faith. In fact, when Paul is about to pass away, he writes the letter, 2 Timothy, to basically hand off his ministry to Timothy. It's a picture in the Bible of multi-generational ministry, which is what we get to see every week here. It's not enough to just stop at one generation. we got to be passing everything along and empowering the next generation to step up and lead in the church. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have ESV, it says, to the saints. Did you know if you're a child of God, your identity has gone from sinner to saint? You are seen as holy in the sight of God to the faithful brothers and sisters. And I guarantee you there's some people in this city, this is a really important city in Asia Minor called Colossae, that are sitting there in church and going, well, I haven't acted holy lately, and I haven't acted faithful lately, and I haven't really gotten my behavior to the point where it looks like the words that are being spoken over me. This is why God starts with identity before activity, because identity leads to activity. You need to hear from God today that because God calls you holy, you are holy, and the more you believe that, the more you'll grow in it. Well, what about my thoughts? What about my feelings? What about my decisions? Listen, there's a verse in 1 John chapter 3 that says, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. 
What does that mean? That means that if your mind and your will and your emotions are all telling you that you're not a child of God, God's greater than those voices. And the next verse says, and he knows everything. So he knows everything about your mind. He knows everything about your decisions. He knows everything about your feelings. And he's greater than all. You are called faithful in the sight of God. You're called holy in the sight of God if, in fact, you are in Christ. Did you notice that at the end? To the brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is not flippant language that I'm using. This is family language. For those who have been united to Jesus in a loving relationship, they believe he died, they believe he rose, and they have given over their lives to follow him. You guys like this whole model of just reading the word and talking about it? Let's keep going. Okay, we're just going to go with it. Verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. This is huge. Paul says, we always thank God, go back to verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Notice that the context of Paul's thanksgiving for the church in Colossae is prayer. He says, I don't just, I'm not just thankful for you, I literally go to God and say thank you on your behalf. And Paul's not saying that lightly. The reason why he's saying that is because, verse 4, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. Colossae was an awesome church. They're crushing it. They're growing. They're growing in their faith. They got multi-generational things happening. They're giving money away to the poor. Good things are happening in Colossae. But here's the interesting thing about Colossae. Paul has never been there, and Paul did not start it. This guy named Epaphras started it. And the reason why Paul is even writing this letter in the first place is because Paul is imprisoned in Rome. Remember when Paul wrote Philippians when he was in prison? That's when he writes Colossians. That's when he does his best stuff. You need to lock Paul up with a pen and go, hey, write a letter to somebody and watch that change the world. And Paul says, listen, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So Epaphras is going to Paul and going, listen, the church in Colossae, you're going to love this. They are amazing. They are following Jesus. They're learning. There's a couple of issues that you need to address. And Paul is going to address over the, over the course of this letter. But Paul is starting the letter going, I thank God for you because you guys get it. And even though Paul's in prison, this letter is overflowing with joy because Paul wants to extend his relationship with all the churches that he did start and that he does have authority over. He wants to extend that to the church in Colossae. Something I want you to notice, um, just as it has been doing among you, this is in verse 6, since you heard it and truly understood God's grace. love that he adds that on. There's a difference between hearing about the gospel and truly understanding the grace of God. Grace and truth go hand in hand. And there's a group of you in this room who have heard about grace for a long time. You've heard that Jesus died to save you. You've heard that God loves you. You've heard that your sins are forgiven. But you don't truly understand God's grace because you don't truly recognize the weight of what you've been saved from. And so consequently, you don't truly walk in the freedom that you've been saved for. When you truly understand God's grace, it changes everything about your daily life. And that's exactly what is happening in Colossae. And Paul goes, hey, you need to know this is happening in your church, but this is actually happening all over the world as well. You want to know why I loved reading this passage? Because I felt like I was reading about this church. I felt like I was reading about you guys. 
I was like, you guys are absolutely crushing it. You're being generous. You're reaching out to people. You're providing for people. Life is happening in community. Yeah, we got issues. Yeah, we got things we need to work on. We're an underdeveloped church. We got a long way to go. We're growing in our faith. Yes, yes, yes. But at the same time, I was just reading these words, and I'm like, the basics of Christianity are happening in our midst. What are the basics? Faith, hope, and love. That's why Paul talks about all three of those. You're rising up with faith. You're rising up with hope. You're rising up with love. And I just wanted to read this and go, oh, my gosh, like what God is doing here is actually happening all over the world. That's happening in 2020 in our day. But this is happening from the leaders of the church down to the church just to encourage them. And I just want to tell you on March 1st, 2020, we're a couple of months into a new decade. You guys are amazing. I love being a part of this church. I love watching the work that's happening in this church. And you know why the work that's happening in this church is happening through people that you don't even really know? Paul has never been to this church. This church was run by a guy named Epaphras. 99% of you don't even know who that is when you walk through the door. Do you know 99% of the things that are happening in this church that happen by the will of God are happening through people who you don't really know? It's happening through names that it's not important for the name to be on the headline of the story because we are all collectively contributing toward this overarching headline called Jesus Wins. So who cares who else is on the headline? So happy with what God is doing here, and I want to just commend the work that is happening here, but we're not done yet. Look at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Good night, Paul. What an introduction. Paul says in verse 9, if you go back there, we haven't stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, Paul is going to use this letter as an opportunity to write a lot of the wrong thinking that was happening 2,000 years ago, specifically a frame of mind called Gnosticism. This was a popular philosophy 2,000 years ago where it was thought that there was a secret knowledge about God that you had to gain special access to in order to know things that only a select few know. And this is pervasive all over the Greco-Roman world. And Paul says, we want God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So Paul's going, it is the Spirit of God who enlightens someone who is truly spiritual. It is the Spirit of God who imparts knowledge. And you need to know today, it is the Spirit of God who will open your eyes as you're reading the Word of God. Yes, you need to work on it. Yes, you need to have discipline. But the main thing you need to do when you open the Bible is go, Holy Spirit, Open my eyes. Let me see what's true about you. But watch this. Not for knowledge's sake. Keep reading so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. We never read the Bible just so we can know more about God. We read the Bible so that we can know God. 
and watch our lives change as the byproduct of that. So he's going, I'm, I'm praying that you would have this special knowledge of God, not so that you can just enjoy this holy huddle, but so that you can live a life that pleases God in every way and the work of God in your heart can overflow to everyone around you. You're going to need patience. You're going to need endurance. But the whole time, the main thing you're going to need is a heart of joyful thanksgiving to the Father. And then he just goes off about the gospel, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Did you know you are a child and an heir of everything? Think if you woke up this morning and somebody told you, hey, you didn't know, but you had this long-lost relative who left you $10 billion. It's yours. Grab it. How would you have worshipped this morning? I'm just curious. <laughs> like, hallelujah, you have saved me. Some of y'all who have uh, student loans would be like, I would be singing that really loud. But I just don't think we realize when we use language like inheritance and we talk about the fact that you and I have stepped into the kingdom of light and we get a share in the holy people of God. You know what a share of the kingdom of God is? One share, one share, everything. That's amazing. And he's going, God has not only adopted you and brought you into his family and let you call God father, but he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people. And then he says, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Now that's an introduction setting up the next six verses that are the cornerstone central foundation of Colossians. And I would say the cornerstone central foundation of humanity. These are arguably the most important verses in the Bible, and I feel like I say that every week because it's like, what's the most important verse in the Bible? I'm like, whatever verse I'm preaching on on Sunday. But legitimately, this is it. There's no set of verses that are more theologically deep, require more discussion and more thought than what I am about to read. So I want you to kind of tremble when you look at the words that we're about to read in verses 15 through 20. Now, what you need to know is that this is a song or poem that the early church would recite about Jesus. This is a summary of what we would call Christology, which is who is Jesus? And Paul introduces the son he loves in verse 13, but now he's going to explain who is this son of God. You ready for this? Verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Let's go back to the first section and just try to digest what we just read. The Son is the image of the invisible God. 
everything about a God that you cannot see is revealed in the person of Jesus. So what God did is basically take everything that can possibly be known or made known about God and unleashed it in who Jesus is, the image of the invisible God. God is Jesus. And I love that this is where this is where Paul starts when many of us who would be asked who is Jesus would start with 2000 years ago, human Jesus. And Paul goes, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, a lot of people will take that verse and go, oh, wow, Jesus was the firstborn? Like, he had a beginning? I thought he was Alpha and Omega, like, beginning and the end. Like, I didn't know he was actually created. No, Jesus was not created because he was with God in the beginning. When you see this word firstborn over all creation, this is why you can never take the English word for something in the Bible and make drastic conclusions with it. You have to understand it in the original context. What Paul is doing with a lot of this section is taking verses from the Old Testament and throwing it into a description of who Jesus is. This word firstborn is less about marking a timetable of when you are born and more about a title that means royal status. So when he says firstborn over all creation, he doesn't mean Jesus and then everybody else. He means firstborn. He is the one who owns everything that belongs to his father. He is the one with royal status. He is the one of everything that could possibly be made. He's first and he's the one who owns it all and has it all. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Who created the world? Jesus. This this is a big, like, Trinitarian understanding, like understanding Father, Son, and Spirit. But you need to know, the physical created world that you see around you was molded and built by Jesus. And this is not a perfect illustration, but in my head, I think, like, the, the, the only way I can think about this right now because of what we're doing on Hamilton Road is just thinking in terms of, like, architect and builder. So if you didn't know this, we're working on building a building on 17 acres off of Hamilton Road right now. And most of our conversations in that process have to do with three different groups of people, an architect, a builder, and a bank. Um, and so let's just, uh, let's just call the Holy Spirit the bank. I don't know how I can fit that into the illustration later, but let's just call that the Holy Spirit. Okay, but specifically father and son. When, when we're thinking architect and builder, our architect is a group in Birmingham called Live Design, okay? And we have hired them to basically conceptually draw up what we are trying to build out there. They're the ones who initiate the plan. They're the ones who go, okay, we're going to put this there, and we're going we're, we're to think about this, and we're going to draw it up like this, and then, oh, what if we creatively talked about this? That initiation, that is the role of Father God. The Father is the one who initiated creation. The Father is the master architect over everything. Builder, our builder is another group out of Birmingham. Everything's in Birmingham. Gosh, I feel like Auburn and Birmingham might as well be one city. Um, But it's like, it's a group in Birmingham called Johnson Crease. They're amazing. The builder is the one who is physically going to get trucks out on that land and move dirt and build a building where we need a building. They're the one whose hands are going to be on it, who literally is going to build it. Live design, they're going to draw it up, but they're... God knows. They're not going out there on the land to build anything. The builder's going to do it. Think about that with 
Father, and Jesus. The Father is the one, the master architect, who initiates, and Jesus is the one who actually executes. What does that mean for you? It means everything you see in the created world fashioned by the very hands that were laid on a cross to save you. It means the body that sits in your seat right now when Scripture says, I was knitted together in my mother's womb. Whose hands were making you in that moment? Jesus. All things were made by him. Watch this. This one will rock your world more. And for him. So, So not only did Jesus make everything, but he did it with an intention that he would enjoy it. That it would be made for his glory and it would be made for his supremacy. I don't want to get ahead of myself because we're going to get to that word supremacy. I want to make sure I cover all of this. In him all things were created. On earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Watch this. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. I've heard it said that the ultimate evidence of the existence of God is the order of creation. The fact that you and I wake up every day to the same rhythm of the sun coming up and going down, to the same scientific properties that exist every day, you turn the heat on on your stove and put water on it, it's going to boil, and the fact that that not only happens today, but would happen at the same temperature next year, there's an order and an organization to the properties of this universe, but also to the daily life, and even meaning that we find relationally with one another. What this verse is saying is that all of those things that are put in perfect order are held together by by Jesus. Louis Giglio says it's almost as if a cross is at the center binding together everything. And if you've never heard the sermon that Louis did about this verse about laminin, the smallest atom in the human body that holds humanity together, if you look at a literal picture of what that atom laminin looks like, it looks like a cross. Your body right now is being held together by little crosses. It's almost like from the smallest molecule to the greatest galaxy that we can't even see. All of this organization is held together by Jesus. This is not a 33-year-old carpenter with long hair and tan skin. This God created everything for himself Before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now watch this. That's Jesus' lordship over creation. Now he's going to create this new thing, this new body called the church. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus is the first one to actually die rise again and exist eternally. And so the reason why God has established Jesus as the head over all creation, the reason for all creation, and now the head of this new body that's growing that we participate in. If you're in Christ, you're in his body, you're in his family. That's called the church. And the reason why God did all of this is so that he might have the supremacy This is a worldview-shaping message. Everybody look up at me and don't miss this. I know this is different than what you're used to on a Sunday at ACC, but I'm loving the truth that's in this passage. This will shape your worldview. God created everything and initiated a family called the church for one reason, and that reason is the supremacy of Jesus. 
This, is, this will shake you up. Why, did, why does the world exist? Why, why everything? Why the church? Why this story? So that Jesus would be high and exalted above everything. And there's a period at the end of that sentence. And that's why the wall reads, Jesus wins. The reason why I want to preach this uh, passage like this is so that we don't turn Jesus into someone who fits into our story. It's so that we start to see Jesus as the head over the whole story that we've been invited to take part in. And if Jesus wins is the headline of your life, congratulations. But every time we see that, we need to know that Jesus wins is the headline of all humanity, period. All of this, I was laughing, talking to our creative team about this. What Colossians is basically saying is that God did all of this so that Jesus would look awesome. The meaning of the universe is that God would get glory and that you and I would be a part of lifting him up. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself all things. This is where we come in. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So God's going to take all of that glory in the one who made everything and let him be the one who lays his life down in a human body so that human beings, the ones who were created, could have a reconciled relationship with their creator. But the point of all of this is that Jesus would become everything. When I was a college student, this rocked my life because my whole life in church, I was kind of told that God was sort of an executive assistant to my life who wanted to advise me about how to live, who provided Jesus to die and save me, who did all these things for my eternal fire insurance. And then as a college student, the verses of Colossians collided with my life with a loud and clear bang. And that bang is about to happen in this room again. And it was this. Your life is not about you. You were not created for you. And watch this. God was not created at all, but definitely does not exist for you. He exists for himself. And the ultimate freedom that happens in a human life is when they not only recognize that life is not about them, but they re also recognize who life is all about. I'm preaching this one hard because I believe you are going to experience the freedom and the peace that you're looking for, not when you get all the answers about your individual situations and work everything out that needs to get worked out and cross all the T's and dot all the I's and let God speak into every little detail. No, 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 no. It's going to get clear when you go, God, you go from being the one who's underneath my authority to being the one who has it all, and I sit under you in awe, thanking you that I get to play a part. Jesus has the supremacy. So I wanted to land this message today simply asking our church family, is there any of us in the room who, without even knowing it, have slowly pulled Jesus off of the throne that's rightfully his and inserted self there and inserted relationship there and inserted money there? I don't know what it is, but I believe Colossians 1 speaks to the most simple and universal questions asked in all the universe in the most deeply theological way. I want to answer two questions, and I want these to clarify who's on the throne of your life today. I want to ask the question, who is God? 
This is something that every human who breathes is asking, even if they say they don't believe in God. Because the reason why they're saying they don't believe in God is because they ask this question, who is God? And they've come to the conclusion that even in the midst of a world of this much order and organization, they've come to the conclusion that no one is God. So if you're, if you're trying to answer this question today, you also have to ask the second one that goes hand in hand with it, which is, why do I exist? Why do I exist? Just talk to any living, breathing human being, and you'll probably hear some variation of, I want to know who God is, but I also want to know why I am here and why this planet is flying through outer space and spinning around and why I can breathe and why all of this has been organized the way that it is. And I want to say loud and clear, the answer that God has given us to both of these questions collides in the one who holds it all together. Who is God? Why do I exist? One word, Jesus. Who made everything? Jesus. Why did he make everything? Jesus. Who's responsible for my future? And why do I even have a purpose in the first place? It is found when you live your life in humble submission to his supremacy. And if you're here today and you have never heard it said with so much clarity, this is why the world was created and this is why you have breath in this moment, you have this opportunity to enter into the family of God. And here's the bad news. No matter how much scientific proof we unveil on this stage, no matter how emotional the song is, if the Spirit of God doesn't open your eyes to see that, you never will. And our hope and our prayer is that the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes. For those of you who do know Jesus, today is a simple message. I could get up here and shout and scream and put all kind of one-liners on the screen. I just didn't feel led to this week. I felt led to ask this question, is this true about the way you live your life? And if it's not, we wanna give you the opportunity to put Jesus back where he belongs. And we wanna do it by celebrating the most humbling act in human history, the sacrifice of Jesus on a Roman cross. We're gonna take communion today as a church and we're gonna believe that some of these powerful reminders from the word of God need a little bit of time to sink in. The night before Jesus died, he held up bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. He held up wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, you and I have this strange tendency of forgetting who is God. And this equal strange tendency of forgetting, why do I exist? College students, you do not exist to get a degree and get a good job and build a nice family. You exist for the glory and renown of Jesus. Adults in the room, you're experienced, you've lived life, you're wise, but you're not God. And this reminder today is going to be an opportunity of freedom, of peace. It's not intended to be offensive to you in any way. It's intended to go, hey, we need to turn over the throne of the universe back to the one, this is hilarious, who made the universe. And in the most humbling act ever, and still just strikes me standing here today, is that all these things that we read about Jesus are said about a God who made himself a man and laid down his life to save sinners like you and me.
Let's be reminded of that today. If you're going to be distributing communion, you want to go ahead and grab those now. Go ahead and get to your spot on the side of your row. I'm going to pray over this time. Here's how this is going to work. Right after I pray, they're going to pass a tray across your aisle, and we're going to ask that if you are not a believer in Jesus, that you just pass it to the person next to you. But if you are, you're going to grab two cups. The top cup is going to have the juice in it, and the bottom cup is going to have a little piece of bread. We're going to take communion together, and we always set apart communion to be more than a ritual. So I want to ask, husbands, would you use this as an opportunity to pray over your wife? Fathers, would you use this as an opportunity to maybe pray over your kids? Friends in the room, you take a moment to be with God together, but maybe you just grab somebody next to you and go, hey, do you want to pray that we would get back right with letting Jesus be the one who sits on the throne of our hearts? I don't know what this moment needs to look like, but it'll be a moment between you and God and maybe a moment for you and a few people around you. If you just need this moment to be between you and God, that's totally fine. But we want to maximize this space. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we take communion together as a church, that you would remind us that you are the one in control and you are the one who holds it all. In the name of Jesus, I pray that as we taste the bread and as we taste the juice, that we remember what you did on Calvary and we remember who it is that's on that cross the maker of heaven and earth. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that your presence would fill up this room and that we would have a time to remember your faithfulness in our lives. We love you. Come and speak in Jesus' name.